0: So do uh, any of you have a best friend? Anybody? Okay. All right. I was, I was getting worried there for a second. I didn't see too many hands going up. All right. Now, now for some of you, they're a person that you've known since childhood. Uh, for some of you, maybe it's someone that you've come to know more recently. Uh, for some of you, it may be your spouse, as I know it is in my case. Uh, and, and really, you know, it, it, it's fascinating how fascinated we are as a culture with the topic of friendship. I mean, everybody from theologians to philosophers to poets and and novelists and filmmakers, and even all the way to anthropologists and psychologists have all dealt with the topic of friendship. Uh, Song lyrics and and quotes by famous and even not so famous people abound on the subject. In fact, uh, a British magazine several years ago uh, offered a prize for the best definition of a friend and among the thousands of answers received are a couple i want to share with you one was a friend is one who multiplies joys divides grief and whose honesty is inviolable that's a good definition another one is a a friend is one who understands our silence a friend is a watch that beats true and never runs down But the winning definition for that contest read, A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Which leads me to our lectionary reading for today that identifies the only person who's ever really filled that description to the fullest. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. So our lectionary reading today is coming from the Gospel of John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. So hear now the words of the true and living God. Jesus said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. And the Bible is filled with stories of friendship. There's uh, Moses and Jethro, uh, David and Jonathan, Elijah and Elisha, Paul and Timothy. But this morning, I want to take a few minutes to look at how deeply Jesus wants to have a personal friendship with us. And that friendship is really highlighted Uh, and emphasized in John's Gospel really more than anywhere else. It's it's kind of a repeated theme. It it picks up when Jesus mentions the friend of the bridegroom in John chapter 3. Jesus refers to uh, Lazarus as our friend in chapter 11. If you remember from a couple weeks back, we're told the good shepherd lays down his life for his friends, for his sheep, from chapter 10. Uh, The Passover crowd taunts Pontius Pilate in public calling him no friend of the emperor if he releases our Lord Jesus in chapter 19. And most telling for us in getting into the mind of our Lord on this topic of loving friendship in today's text from John 15 is the moment that the disciples are elevated from the position of servants to the position of friends. And if you've been keeping up with the lectionary readings, you know that this week's text Follows immediately upon our Lord's metaphor of the vine and the branches Uh, That parable where Jesus teaches the disciples that discipleship brings us into a vital connection with him And with god the father Uh, That discipleship is being a branch that's connected to the vine. It's relational And jesus is saying it's time for the next step in our relationship He's saying to his men. I no longer call you servants called you friends He's saying, I don't want to have an arm's length relationship that's just a teacher and student or employee and boss or servant and master. Uh, We are those things, of course, but more than that at the same time. He's saying, I don't want to just share my work with you. I want to share my life with you. I want to share a personal relationship and to really let you in on the plans and the purpose that God the Father has sent me to accomplish. And Jesus wanted that type of relationship with His men, and He wants it with us. Because that's how the Father has always related to the Son. And the Son to the Father, and the Holy Spirit to them both. So remember now, from eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been living in community, in relationship. Uh, They've each loved each other, and trusted each other, and lived in and for each other. And so now Jesus widens that circle of the relationship to include everyone who's called to be his. And when he does that, he gives uh, to them and to us basically the family rules, the, the code of conduct, the supreme ethic that's to exist in this community of loving friendship. And he says, this is my commandment. Love each other. Love each other the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command And if you've noticed that little section, uh, it begins and ends with a mandate from Jesus, right? A command to love each other. Uh, And the fact that it's put uh, in the text in the imperative mode means it's not an option in our lives. Uh, It's not something we can do if we feel like it. But it's to be a deliberate response to another person, to a, a fellow member of the family of God, regardless of how we may feel about that person. And you know, a lot of people struggle at that point. They say, well, hey, wait a minute. How can you command someone to love? You can't tell someone how to feel, can you? And love is a feeling, and if you don't feel love for somebody, you just don't feel love for them in the story, right? But folks who may say that and things like that reveal that they have a really serious misconception of love because love, as Jesus speaks of it here, is far, far different. And the secret, of course, is that we are to love as he loved us. We're to love as he loved us. And how has he loved us? He laid down his life for us. He said, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Love lays its life down for another. And obviously this means more than simply uh, dying physically for someone in a kind of passive sense. Uh, Because you can only do that once, Right? You wouldn't have many friends that way but our lord has commanded us to do it repeatedly so he means by this that we're to give ourselves actively and willingly and constantly up for one another that's what jesus had in mind here not some kind of uh, fair weather feeling for someone but enthusiastic intentional effort for someone else's good even if it comes at our own expense there's a great little book that i recommended to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study class about, oh, I don't know, five or six months ago uh, by pastor and author Robbie Zacharias called I, Isaac, Take Thee, Rebecca And if you haven't read it, uh, move it to the top of your summer must-read list because it's an awesome book. And in it he shares this great little story that I think really illustrates the ideas that we're talking about, so I'm going to share a paragraph or so for you. Uh, he's writing at one point in the book, he's writing about his uh, early ministry and his engagement to the lady that would be his future wife named Margie and then he in the next chapter he says one year later I was married after being married all these years I can unblushingly say love is hard work I would carry it one step further it's the hardest work I know of from which you are never entitled to take a vacation you take on burdens and cares you inherit problems you have to feel beyond yourself You have to think of things other than yourself. Your responsibilities are now multiplied and you are trusted with greater commitments. You see, the easiest part, he says, of our marriage was the wedding ceremony. But afterwards, then real life happens. He writes, I remember carrying Margie over the threshold. He said, my heart was just as full as I hoped it would be. And I had this overwhelming sense of gallantry as I carried her into the room. Later, about 2 o'clock in the morning, Margie got up. And I thought, well, surely the honeymoon couldn't be over already. (laughs) Where was she going, I thought. So I asked her, where are you going, honey? She answered, I'm going to get a glass of water. I said, stay right there. I'll get it for you. That was May 6, 1972. And I was thrilled to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and get her a glass of water. My, what a sacrifice. (laughs) But five years go by. Five years go by, and one night I find myself comfortably tucked in bed, and about two or three o'clock in the morning I hear the rustle of sheets. Uh, She's getting up again. The temptation this time, though, is to pull the covers over my face and cease to hear anything (laughs) in that moment. Uh, For at least one reason, she looked different. You see, in in May 6, 1972, she looked grand, absolutely grand, but five years later, she had some funny things in her hair (laughs) at night. She had these funny things in her hair at night that generally prompted one question from me, "Uh, honey, what stations do you get under that influence? (laughs) And he says parenthetically that he's been chided for that remark several times, and so he needs to add that she no longer wears those. But, But his point was times had changed. Times had changed, but he said, I still do the right thing. And I still recall that sight. And when I looked at her, the first word that popped into my mind was not, wow. (laughs) I can't wait to get her a drink of water. (laughs) But I still do the right thing because the tug of love is a commitment stronger than merely the flutter of the heart. It has everything to do with the tenderness of a heart determined to serve, a heart determined to love. In another of his writings, he says, do you want to see what true love looks like? Do you really want to see what true love looks like? Uh, Don't look at teenagers kissing each other passionately on a park bench. He said, look at the couple in the nursing home. Look at the couple in the nursing home where a wife holds the hand of a husband who doesn't even know who she is anymore. That's real love. Sacrificial love. And how do you arrive at that? Well, chiefly by recognizing that dying to yourself is an act of the will, a will regenerated by the movement and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that empowers you to choose to lay down your life in the best sense of the term and to surrender your will to the will of God by an act of commitment to him, a commitment in the light of the love that Christ has shown us and in obedience to his lordship. Because, you know, love is a command. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling, but you know somehow uh, in the romantic world of music and theater We've made love to be something. It's really not Because we've so mixed it with beauty and charm and sensuality uh, That we've robbed it of its higher calling of cherishing and nourishing for a lifetime That's why the bible uh, in its illustration of the love between christ and the church so often pictures it as a marriage as a bond between lover and the beloved, a commitment lived out in perfect unity within the will of God. And that's why if you look at the next uh, item on your order of worship in the Bulletin, we're going to be having a covenant of Christian marriage. A marriage between uh, Ira and Susie, two children of God who have heard the voice of the shepherd uh, calling them out from a life outside of the will of God and into the blessing and the favor of of a relationship, of a lifelong friendship with Him. And so I'm going to be having them come down here in just a second. And, you know, I think it's really, this is the perfect place for a wedding. You know, these big destination weddings and and things are, are great. But, you know, a wedding is an act of worship. It's an act of covenant. It's an act of two people leaving their separate lives and coming together as one. So this is really exciting, I think, because it's the first one I've ever done during worship. But uh, as soon as John's ready, we're going to ask him to come down front. Hey, now's your chance, Susie. You can run. No, kidding. Dearly beloved, we're assembled here in the sight of God and of these witnesses to join together this man and this woman in the bonds of holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate instituted by God in the Garden of Eden. It's a holy estate adorned by Christ with his presence and his first miracle at Cana of Galilee, and which is commended by the Apostle Paul to be respected among all men and therefore not to be entered into lightly, but reverently, discreetly, soberly, And in the fear of God, into this holy estate, this man and this woman come now to be joined. God has established marriage for our welfare and our enjoyment. Marriage makes sacred the union between a man and woman and offers to each the opportunity to grow together into a more complete manhood and womanhood. To that end, our Lord has said that a man shall leave his parents and shall unite with his wife. He has commanded through his apostles that husbands and wives love and cherish each other throughout their lives. And that they shall give each other strength and compassion and understanding and together share their joys and pains. And these two who have previously traveled separate ways come now to be made one. Let's pray. Father of love who have brought these two together to be joined as one, we pray now that you would bless them with every good and perfect blessing. May their love never cease to grow in character and fullness. May they have the strength to share each other's joys and sorrows, continually bearing one another's burdens. May their temptations be few and may they always be ready to forgive each other, even as you, through Christ, forgive them and us. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, Almighty Father, in the union of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. And Ira, will you have this woman to be your wedded wife to live together after the ordinances of God in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love her, honor and cherish her? Keep her in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, staying only with her as long as you both shall live. Thank you. Susie, will you have this man to be your wedded husband, to live together after the ordinances of God in the holiest state of matrimony? Will you love him, honor and keep him in plenty and in want, in joy and sorrow, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, staying only with him as long as you both shall live? All right, Ira, would you repeat after me? I, Ira, take thee Sue, to, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold, to have and hold. from this day forward, from this day forward. For, better or for, worse, for better or for worse in sickness and in health, in and in health. To, love and to, cherish, to love and to cherish till death do, us part, to death do us part according to the holy ordinance of God. And to these vows I pledge my fidelity. <laughs> Would you repeat after me? I Susie, ira, I, Susie, take the ira to be my wedded husband to, wedded husband, to have and to hold, to and to hold from, this forward, from this day forward for better or for worse, for for worse in, sickness in, health, in sickness and in health to love and to cherish, to and to cherish till death do us part. According to, the holy of God. according to the holy ordinance of God and to these vows I pledge my fidelity and to these, I pledge my fidelity, fidelity. <laughs> now, what token do you have to symbolize your pledge of lasting love got rings okay. now, these rings are an outward invisible sign of an inward spiritual bond that unites this couple in endless love now, they're forged in a circle with no beginning and no end as their love is for each other they're also made of precious metal, signifying the precious, endless love that they have pledged to one another. May the one who gives and the one who receives wear these rings as a constant reminder of your covenant of constant faith and abiding love. Ira, would you take Susie's ring and repeat after me? In token and pledge of the vows we have made, with this ring I thee wed, in the name of the Father, And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Susie would you take his and repeat after me in token and pledge of the vows we have made with this ring I thee wed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit let's pray merciful and gracious God of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named bless these two before me with the seal of your approval Grant them your grace to fulfill with a pure and steady affection the vows made between them. We ask you, Lord, to guide them together in the ways of righteousness and peace, that in loving and serving thee with one heart and mind all the days of their life, they may be abundantly enriched with the tokens of your everlasting favor through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And for as much as Ira and Susie have committed to marriage and have witnessed the same before God and these people here assembled and have pledged one to the other everlasting fidelity, And have declared and sealed that pledge with the exchange of rings. Now, by the authority vested in me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I declare you to be husband and wife in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. You can kiss your bride. Thank you, guys.